The following message is from Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky, where we keep Christ central. To listen to other messages and to learn more about Central Baptist Church, visit our website at cbcmaysville.com. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. We are finishing uh, up chapter 16 uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 16 through the end of the chapter in verse chapter, uh, verse 33. But as you are turning to that, it's also good to, uh, to, to see Jay here with us. Jay has uh, been up in uh, Steeler territory for a while back, but it's good to, um, good to have you here uh, back, back home with us for a while. So it's good to see you this morning. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. We'll read through it, uh, and then we will uh, we'll dig into the word this morning. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes these words, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have trouble now, have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me, for truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, 
Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Would you pray with me? Oh, dear Father, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us this day through the power of the Holy Spirit in plain language. God, that we would hear what you have called us to hear and that we will obey what you have called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. In the 2006 movie, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, which is based on on a true story, Will Smith, now this is the uh, pre-Oscar slap Will Smith, um, he plays the the main character of Chris Gardner. Now Chris was always looking for this next big thing that would get he and his his family ahead. So he invested all... All of his savings, and nobody's ever known anybody like this, but he invested everything he had in in this new technology. It's a bone density scanner. The problem is, is while this was new cutting-edge technology in the 1980s, it was almost impossible to sell because of what we still use today called the X-ray machine. And so, so this... He invests everything and he goes around, around to doctor's office, to hospital, trying to sell these bone density scanners. But he ends up losing everything he has. His wife leaves him. But, but his son, Chris Jr., stays with, with Gardner there in, in San Francisco. But life was hard. It was hard to uh, the Gardners. But it, it seemed that there was a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Their suffering would only be for a little while, a while longer. For Chris, lands an, an internship with the stockbroker firm of, of Dean Witter. And given that opportunity, he excels at the job. But the problem is, is, is that this job that he had was an unpaid internship. Now, somebody who is caring for his son, doing everything that he can, he, he really needed some, some money to be rewarded for his for his hard work. But in the end, he becomes homeless when he can't pay his rent and at one point ends up sleeping in the bathroom at a train station. He endures hardship. However, he must leave work early right, so that he, can, that he can get in line by 5 o'clock in the evening to make sure that there is a bed for he and his son at the local church's homeless shelter. But in the end, and he and Gardner overcomes his homelessness and becomes a multimillionaire stockbroker. This right, rags to riches story, it, it's one that we, we, we love to hear. Right? We, we find ourselves, you know, we, we find ourselves dug deep in, in a hole and, and through, through grit and, and hard work, we, we can climb out of that hole and, and we can prove to the world that we have made something of ourselves. 
You know, what is? What is the key to happiness? Is it wealth? You know, Gardner speaks that really what led him to, to, to begin his career as a stockbroker is, is that he was at a hospital trying to, to sell one of these bone density scanners and he, and he sees this well-dressed man get out of his car. But it wasn't just any car. It was a bright red Ferrari. And he said, I want to be like that. Eventually, Gardner did buy his very own Ferrari from none other than than Michael Jordan. In fact, his license plate said on the back, not MJ. You know, we're bombarded by messages telling us that we're to do whatever makes us happy. And we need to prevent anyone, anybody that tries to, to take that happiness from us. They're, they're, they're causing us harm and we need to reject that. But, and sadly, our culture places a higher value of personal happiness than above living for Christ. But the thing is, the truth is, is that living for Christ is how we can experience true joy. Now, it's not easy. No, no, it's uh, not easy. I mean, in fact, we can find ourselves in the midst of our current and trying difficult circumstances, and we can begin to wonder, is it really worth it? Should I just give up on on following Christ and just live for myself and, and pursue my own happiness? And this is kind of where Jesus' disciples found themselves, at this, at this crossroads. See, as, as Jesus here is concluding his farewell discourse, this is his last time he's going to, to speak to his disciples together before he goes into the garden and, and, and prays. He warns his disciples that soon they would feel great sorrow. They would experience pain and and defeat like they have never felt before when when they see their Savior hanging on that cross. But that sorrow will turn into joy on that third day when Jesus rises from the dead. Today's passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see that joy comes from deep sorrow. Joy comes from deep sorrow. Joy overflows when we pray. And lastly, joy comes from our relationship with Jesus. You know, Jesus often uh, spoke in, in parables. I rarely did, did Jesus give a, a direct answer when, when he was asked a question. You know, in, in the Gospels, Jesus would, would often use uh, parables to, to get across the point that he's, he's wanting his listeners to understand. But parables weren't always used to make a complex lesson easy to understand. Now, for some, this would be, be true, but, but parables were also used to conceal truth for those who, who could not hear, who could not understand you know, in, in many of Jesus' parables, right, he would, he would say, he who has ears, 
let him hear. Now Jesus wasn't running around speaking to a bunch of people that had two ears and those that had, had no ears. No, he's speaking of those who were able to hear and to get what he is saying. See, they couldn't understand because the Spirit wasn't moving in them to hear what he was saying. You know, during the Vietnam War, prisoners of war, they, they were housed at the Hanoi Hilton. They would communicate through what's called the, the tap code. And as a means of, of torture, the Viet Cong would, they would isolate the prisoners and, and preventing them from speaking to each other. And so these POWs would use this, this tap code so that, they could, so that they could speak to each other without the guards knowing what they were saying. And so using this tap code, the, the prisoners would, 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 uh, were said to be able to, to maintain a chain of command even when they couldn't see each other or, or hear audible words. And also they were able to keep up morale. It's said by those who survived that the ability, even through the midst of a tap to communicate with one another, gave them hope to keep on fighting. It's Jesus had been speaking to his disciples, but they but they hadn't been able to understand what, what he was saying. You know, it's, it's kind of like he was using tap code and, and the disciples didn't know the, the alphabet. And so he tells them here in verse 16, he says, A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now, we have the, the benefit of, uh, of living on the other side of Jesus' crucifixion and, and his resurrection. Right? We, we, know, we know that Jesus died on the cross and on the third day he arose. And Jesus, though, he had been telling his disciples what was going to happen. But their minds, their minds just couldn't comprehend it. And so, in response... To Jesus' statement, the disciples, are, they're questioning amongst themselves because no one was bold enough to ask Jesus outright. And it's like, what in the world is he talking about? Right? None of this makes any sense. But Jesus overhears. And then he hits them with another hard truth. Look here at verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I will say to you, you will weep. And lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Now, anytime we, we see in a, in a passage in Scripture a, 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 the, a double words, in this case, truly, truly, if you are King James, verily, verily, I say, it's for emphasis. Like Jesus is saying, like, I mean, if you haven't been listening, you really need to, to, to focus here to what I am, I am saying. And, and Jesus is warning his disciples that they are getting ready to go through some really hard times. They will weep and they will lament. And I can see, I can see the disciples thinking, Weeping, I'm a man, I, I don't cry. But we all know that's 
really not true. Now, it says not only would they weep or cry, but we have this word lament. It's a word we don't often use. In fact, outside of Scripture, I don't think I've really heard it much in, in normal vernacular. I never really heard anybody say, man, I have really been lamenting a lot lately. Now, lamenting, though, it, it's often accompanied by this just really great sense of grief and sorrow entailing uh, uh, this wailing and sometimes moaning and crying. Have you ever lamented before? You know, the disciples were about to experience great sorrow. And they would lament over what was happening to Jesus. They would lament about how they, they failed Jesus by abandoning Him when He needed them the most. They lamented at how much joy people found at what was happening to their teacher. Can't you imagine the sorrow that the disciples felt when they, they heard the crowd before Pontius Pilate screaming, Give us Barabbas! However, sorrow is only temporary. And when the ladies went to the tomb, on that Sunday morning, and the angel proclaimed to them, He is not here, for He has risen. The Bible tells us that it was with fear and great joy that they ran to tell the disciples at what they had seen. So to help the disciples and for us to understand what it means, that sorrow would turn to joy. Jesus uses another parable of a woman giving birth. Now, I can't speak to first-hand knowledge as to what childbirth is like. But I don't have to to know that it is painful. You know, there's those that that would prefer to, to give a, a natural birth, taking no medication, just, you know what, just doing it all, all natural. And I don't care how strong any man is or woman is, uh, these women that do a natural birth make Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a wimpy teenager. <laughs> but even with modern medicine, all right, and epidurals and Women go through excruciating pain to give birth. Yet when that, when that little one comes out, and he's, he or she is placed in his mother's arms on their chest, all of that pain turns into joy. And don't get me wrong, the pain's still there. But it's outmatched. By the precious gift that God has given. You know what joy have you experienced? As a result of following Jesus. You ever sit back to, to, to think about that? Often we, we think about the tough times and the, what we don't receive. But do you really, do you, have you ever just pondered what joy do I get from following Jesus? 
Yes, we, we look forward to, to, to seeing Jesus face to face in glory. And, you know, when a Christian loved one dies, we, we will often say to them, right, they're, they're in a better place. Why do we speak that? Because they are with Jesus and there, their joy is made perfect. It's made complete. They experience no more pain, no more suffering, no more trials, no more failures. They have received their glorified bodies that that comes from a result from our faith in Jesus. And the only reason that we can receive that kind of joy is because of the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. While our gaze is always, it's always on heaven, we experience joy in our lives today. See, we were satisfied not in our circumstances, no matter how good or no matter how bad they are, but we're satisfied in Christ alone. Our joy overflows when we pray. Because of Jesus' suffering, His death and resurrection, we have access to God that the disciples didn't have when they were in that upper room. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, In that day you will ask in my name. And, and I do not say that to, to you, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and be, have believed that I came from God. See, we don't have to go through an intermediary in order to to gain access to to God. For those uh, of you who were around earlier in uh, in the the century when when you had to pick up the phone and and you got the operator. And you had to say, operator, I'd like to to speak to so-and-so. And then they put you in touch. Then you had the number and you could do that. Now, I, I don't remember any of, of that. It was a little before my, my, my time. But I do remember as a kid that, uh, that in, in church we were told that, that we never got a busy signal when we called on God. Now, this is one of those parables that doesn't really translate very well today. You know, my kids don't even know what a, a phone hanging on the wall is or what it would be for. So to, to, I guess to, to kind of put it into today's lingo prayer, it, it's, it's like sending God a text message and then immediately you see those three dots. Now, if you're an Apple user, you know what I'm talking about. Right? You, you text and then you see those three dots and what that means is that the person has read your message and is in the process of sending you a reply. You see, God hears our prayers when we pray them in Jesus' name, He is our mediator. So Jesus is telling His disciples there, He says, look, you, you haven't had to, to pray, for I've been with you, but now you're not going to be asking me, but you're going to have direct access to the Father. And you see, God answers our prayers when we pray in His name. 
Now, in Jesus' name, it's, it's much more than just putting a, a phrase at, at the end of our prayer. No, when, when we truly pray God's will and are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and when we magnify Jesus through our prayers, then He will give you the desires of your heart. Our joy overflows when, when we pray. I read a story uh, a while back about a, a church that was, was going through some, some difficult times. There was great division in, in the church. They had lost some families and some were, you know, just natural losing. Some others were just you know, kind of leaving out in, in protest because they didn't get what they wanted. In fact, it was so bad that some members were, were withholding their tithes out of protest. They felt that, you know what, if I make the church hurt enough... Then they're going to start listening to me and, you know, kind of go my way. Gossip was rampant in this church. And it affected the ministry, not just within the walls of the church, but out in the community and in the morale of, of the church. So, sensing that they got some major issues, the chairman of deacons called a special deacons meeting so they, all of the, the deacons are, are there and they begin with, you know, the kind of the, the short uh, uh, opening prayer. And he looks at the deacons and he says, Fellas, what are we going to do about this problem that we got? We're losing people. People are gossiping about each other. We got people holding ties. And, you know, it just, what are we going to do? Now, this was a good deacon body full of of men that, you know, that, you know were, were good Christian men. And not just that, but they were good problem solvers too. So what happened is, is they, they started throwing out ideas. In fact, one a deacon said that, well, the only thing I think that we can do in order to save this church is, is just get rid of the pastor and find a new one. And another says, well, it kind of seems a little extreme here. You know, I think that, look, if we can just get back to the way that we used to do things, back to the way when church was, was fun and, you know what, people were just coming and that's, we just get back to there, it's going to fix all of, our, all of our issues. But then another deacon chimes in, he's like, I don't know what you all are talking about. He said, but I think we're headed in the right direction. And, to be honest, those of you who don't, can't see that, look, I just don't think you're spiritual enough. Now the deacon chairman, he's they're frantically, you know, keeping notes of uh, of the meeting, but but in his mind he felt he felt defeated because he saw firsthand how divided not just the church was, but his own leadership was. And then, kind of in the back of the room, there was this older deacon that was sitting there. And he lifts up his head and he speaks. The other deacons were kind of perplexed because this deacon barely said anything at all. And in fact, they thought he just slept through the meetings. But he said, gentlemen, 
I've heard a lot of ideas and options. Some of them may be good, some may not so, but every single statement that I've heard is I think, or we need to do this, or he said, you know what I've heard very little of? Is what does God think? Or what is he telling us to do? He said, you may think that I am disinterested in what you have to say. Been sitting back there sleeping. And he said, it's not it at all. He said, I've been praying. He said, be honest. I don't know what the right answer is. But I know who does. He said, I think we just need to suspend this meeting until we have a time of fervent prayer tonight and every week until God reveals to us. He said, we're just spinning our wheels. He said, we treat prayer just as it's some kind of just... You know, we just say it because that's what we're supposed to do. But he said, I wonder if we really believe that God answers prayer. The good news is, is that as he was saying those words, tears began running down the, the eyes of these grown men. And they realized how easy it is to get sucked into the current circumstances and allow that to rob them of their joy. Until that night in that deacon's meeting, they had a prayer meeting. And they had a prayer meeting every single week for more than a month. Never once discussing what options they need to to take. To see revival in their church. In the end, church turned around. It wasn't easy. They went through trials, pain, some sorrow. But it turned into joy. You know, why do you think that prayer is so important to us as believers? Why is prayer so important to us as believers? You know, uh, when I hear from somebody that's gone through a great struggle, whether it's the loss of a loved one or coming through a major surgery or illness, a person of faith will almost say it is the prayers That got me through it. It's not because of psychological reasons that, you know, kind of helps us to to keep calm. No, because there is power in prayer. There is power in prayer. Verse 31. After saying all these things, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Do you now believe? See, Jesus predicted what was going to happen as his disciples witnessed the arrest and the crucifixion. They went through sorrow. They went through suffering. 
but it turned into joy. Now Jesus here is nearly completing with his teaching in the upper room. And he leaves his disciples with hope. Look at verse 33. It says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You know what difference is... Is trusting God, God's love for you. What difference is, is that making? As we, we try to go through tough times, as we persevere through the difficult trials that we face, whether that is getting that phone call that saying, I'm sorry, it's cancer. Or when you hear of another family that just seems to be falling apart. We're comforted to know that God loves us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to live the perfect sinless life that we couldn't live. To die the sinner's death that we deserve. (laughs) And He didn't stay dead. Now he defeated death on that third day by rising from the grave. In that view, when we face trials and tribulations, we can have peace. Not because we've gritted our teeth and pulled ourselves out of the pit. No, because Christ has overcome your pain. He's overcome your sorrow. He has overcome your circumstances. And because He has done so, we we can have peace. Are you at peace this morning? Are you at Peace, even when it just seems like the world around us and our circumstances are are, are so turbulent. May we find joy in our sorrow. May our joy overflow through prayer to, to the God who loves you. And may we find joy in our relationship with Jesus who overcame the world. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message. To listen to other messages and to learn more about Central Baptist Church, visit our website at cbcmaysville.com.